You are Locked On Bama, your daily podcast on the Alabama Crimson Tide. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back in to Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me. Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? I'm celebrating 14 years of annual victories over Tennessee and 14 years of annual catastrophic injury to our football team. I mean, it is 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 crazy, man. And I, I think that's the only place you can start. I mean, we can talk about 14 in a, in a row over Tennessee, and that is awesome. I mean, it's, it's I've got four children; three of them have never lost to Tennessee. <laughs> that's they're good that's players. Pretty, well, they're good players pretty, first and foremost. Yeah, and but. You know, losing Jalen Waddle on that play, it put a damper on the whole thing. It, it, it put a damper on on the way I enjoyed the victory. It put a damper on – I mean, you could see it on Najee Harris's face. I mean, everybody's talked about that. Um, clearly, he was shooken up or shaken up. I don't know which one's right. Or shook up um, by Waddle's injury, and it sucks. It sucks. What What I would say that I do appreciate – is the entire college football world, rivals included for the most part, have all said, man, that sucks because I loved watching him play. And um and he was uh he he's he's special and it sucks we won't have him. Can we win a national championship without him? I think so. Um I felt a lot better with him. He takes the top off defense like nobody I've ever seen at Alabama. And um he he's got moves like Jagger and we'll miss him. But I also want to give tons of credit to uh, John Mechie for stepping up and, and making some huge Jalen Waddle-like catches in this game. And to Slade Bolden, though he had a fumble, he certainly came in and, and did admirably in this Tennessee game. Yeah, Slade's a good player. He's a good example of, you know, we, we, under Saban, we, we put these freaks on the field and they don't come off the field very much. And then there's this natural assumption sometimes the fans have to assume that someone who's not playing a lot isn't a good player. Well, there's just not enough snaps or balls to go around. And Slade showed, uh, I think, Saturday what 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 we knew, which is that he's a good player. Now, is he Jalen Waddle? Oh, hell no. Of course he's not. No one else is either. Uh, it's a massive loss for that reason. But Alabama can still have a great year. Alabama could still win the national championship, in part because Slade Bolden's a good player. I mean, he's, he's going to be an asset to the team. And uh, he's going to make some plays. Uh, but, I, you know, I'd almost like bookmark this point in the season because let's say down the road we get to Atlanta or, or we get in the playoffs and, and we lose by one play, meaning one score, and you lose to, you know, Ohio State 38 to 35. You can't help but wonder, hmm, have to think Waddle's worth more than three points. So, I mean – uh, it, it's not the built-in excuse. It's not an excuse. I, I don't use no. it as an excuse. It's a re. It's a reason. It's a no, why. Why did we not? It's a why. It's not. It's a reason. It's not. Oh, we're just building in excuses. It's just a fact. I mean, it doesn't mean that Ohio State wouldn't deserve to win the game. Of course they do. Um, but if we end up one play short, it might be that that moment that cost it. And the fact of the matter is injuries are part of the game. We, we know that as well as anybody, and you just have to deal with it. By the way, I meant to tell everybody this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. I'll talk about them in just a minute. Um, 
So, yes. So who takes his spot, I think, is is the biggest question. And I hate not to go into this game more right off the bat, but I think Waddle's the story from college football this past weekend. If it's not um, the ineptitude of instant replay in more than one game across the country, I think the story is Jalen Waddle's injury. And my question is, who takes his spot? Is it Slade Bolden for the long term, or do you think somebody like uh, – Jones Bell or or Javon Baker is going to be able to come in and and make a move here. I think there's three or four possibilities, and the fact there's three or four possibilities tells you it's a little bit troublesome that there's not one obvious one. Uh, I do think Bolden is going to remain what amounts to our third option. I think you know in terms of ranking the receivers, you know of course there's Devontae and then there's Mechie. They're all American types, literally good enough to be all American, both of them. Then Bolden would be the third guy, and I do think we need a fourth. Um, the fourth guy doesn't have to be a significant player in terms of catching six or eight balls a week, but the fourth guy has to be a threat and has to be a positive asset to the team. I think the first place you look is a veteran. The veteran option is Xavier Williams. Xavier uh, Ziggy, as he's called, uh, he, he's, he's been on the team two or three years and just hasn't played really at all. I would be really surprised if it's him, even though that's the first place you look because he's the oldest, most mature guy. Uh, he just has been leapfrogged by freshmen each year he's been there. So I don't think it would be him. Then you look to the freshmen, the true freshmen who haven't played. Who's been the most impressive? I, I, I believe the answer to that almost universally is Javon Baker, who had a really good fall in, in camp. He just hasn't played yet uh, for whatever reason, uh, mostly because there's all freaks ahead of him in, in the lineup. And I do think Javon eventually is going to be really, really good. Uh, is he ready? I, I don't know. Another interesting freshman, because we lost Waddle, is Theo Jones-Bell, just simply because he's the freshman that's most like Waddle. He's not ready to be Jalen Waddle. I don't think he'd ever be Waddle. But he's small. He's shifty. He's make you miss. He can return punts and kicks. He's a slot receiver. He's a big play machine. He he looks like Waddle. Now, he's just probably not Waddle because who is? But maybe it would be Jones Bell because the guy we lost is Waddle. Here's an out-of-nowhere answer that will shock everybody, but I think it needs to be pointed out in terms of the ultimate dark horse for that new wide receiver might be walk-on Josh Lanier. Uh, Josh is our best walk-on wide receiver, so much so that people may not have noticed, but he's played in the games. He's been, he's been on some coverage units, uh, and he actually played in the fourth quarter at wide receiver a couple of snaps. He played, uh, for instance, Javon Baker didn't. I mean, Theo Jones-Bell didn't, but Josh Lanier did, and he's a senior who uh, played at uh, North Alabama uh, early in his career, so he's played in some college football games. Any walk-on that gets on the field for Nick Saban's Alabama's <laughs> climbed a heck of a mountain. So I wouldn't rule out even Josh Lanier, who's actually played in the games, and the other kids haven't. So I think those are the four possibilities. If we're betting, if we're like, okay, well, you got to bet. Who, who are we going to see out of those four? I would bet on Javon Baker, but I'm glad I don't really have to bet because it's probably not even something that's been determined. It'll be determined this week in practice. Jimmy, as soon as Waddle got hurt, I think one thing all of us wanted to do was hit the reset button. And if you ever want to hit the reset button, 
then you need to go grab yourself a Coors Light. I know the world right now is go, go, go. Coors Light is made to chill. It will help you chill, and you need to go grab a Coors Light. You can go find out more about Coors Light at CoorsLight.com. It is the one to choose when you need to unwind. And Lord have mercy, did we need to unwind after we saw Jalen Waddle limp off the field. Um, prayers up to Jalen Waddle, but one way that can help you get through these troubling times is to grab yourself a cold filtered Coors Light. Please, please, please celebrate responsibly when you have 14 in a row big wins over your rival. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Also want to tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar has six new delicious flavors. We've talked about them before, but these flavors are all awesome. They're so good. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, my personal favorite, and apple almond crisp. And Jimmy, we got a text or excuse me, a tweet from a listener who said, hey, I just went and bought some Built Bar and used the code and uh, there we go. And we couldn't thank you enough. Thanks for doing that. We appreciate it. Anytime you have a refreshing Coors Light or you grab yourself a Built Bar, tweet Jimmy and me or tweet the show and we will certainly bring it up. Um, Built Bar is very health conscious. It's for the health conscious person. Um, it's covered in chocolate, which is a positive, but it is still very healthy for you. And it doesn't taste like cardboard like these other health bars do. This is delicious. You wouldn't know it was a health bar unless I told you right here on this podcast. Easy to chew. They're soft. Um, you can lose or maintain weight by having Built Bar. It's low calorie, but high on taste. Go to BuiltBar.com. B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. Use the promo code Locked On. All right, Jimmy, um, moving along here. I think where we're going to go next is just talk about the <clears throat> the game itself for a minute. But before we do that, I, I don't even know who the poster was because I just copied and pasted this. But I need I should give credit to whoever posted this on Bama Online. I want you to hear all these and then just give me your initial reaction. These are some Tennessee Alabama stats from the last fourteen years. The first play in the streak was an onside kick called by Saban that Alabama recovered. And I remember that because I was there. And that was the game where we had the uh, book gate. Um, okay. book gate. 292 players have been signed by Tennessee who have completed a career without beating Alabama. In 840 minutes of game time, Tennessee has led for a grand total of 17 minutes and 39 seconds. Never by more than one score. Eight Alabama quarterbacks have made starts in the streak. Five Tennessee head coaches, four of which were either former or future Saban assistants. UT, UT also had two other interim coaches during this stretch, but neither coached against Alabama. Um, so Tennessee has had essentially seven coaches in this streak, but they didn't coach against Alabama. During the streak, Tennessee has never led at halftime. The average halftime score is 21 to 7. Tennessee has scored 19 touchdowns in 56 quarters of play. Alabama has scored 19 touchdowns in the last 12 quarters alone. Tennessee has 13 offensive touchdowns since 2013. Alabama has five non-offensive touchdowns during that same stretch. Those statistics are things that would be awesome if Ohio State were facing off against Rutgers. This is Alabama, Tennessee. 
we it's not just a win streak. We've, it's, it's sort of an annihilation streak. We've sort of annihilated them for 14 years in a row, and this past weekend was no different, even losing the best player on the football team on the first snap. It gave Tennessee no lift at all. They weren't able to really muster any sort of real charge. They just had some brief moments of success, but it was even less than I assumed it might be. Uh, but we've really just annihilated Tennessee. It's funny to me how we used to use the Tennessee game sort of as a tell. If we beat Tennessee, we had a good year. If we lost to Tennessee, we probably had a bad year. Uh, that was all pre-Saban. It's still a tell game because now you can just tell that Nick Saban's Alabama is the best dynasty in college football history. This is another page in the book that says that Saban's the all-time best. It's the way that he's annihilated Tennessee. I think I read something the other day. Yeah, I did. In the, in the, in the 29 games against Arkansas and Tennessee before Nick, Alabama was like 10-17-1 and one in the last 29 against Arkansas and Tennessee under Nick Saban. Alabama's 29 and 0. So that's that's that tells the whole story right there. Uh yeah, it does. I mean, it's it's insanity. Um and what's even more insane about this is the yardage Alabama piled up was impressive. However, the longest touchdown Alabama had, correct me if I'm wrong, was the scoop and score from uh from Alabama from Moore, wasn't it? That's probably right. I, I think it was kind of the talk at SEC Network. I watch SEC Final, which is a great show. I really enjoy on SEC Network. They do a good job on there. And they were commenting on, wow, how about this? A, a game, a, an Alabama highlight package that didn't include a long-distance you know, pass play for a touchdown because Mac Jones had been making that play rain out of the sky. I don't think there's any particular reason it didn't happen this weekend. I mean, maybe you might point to, well, there's the first sign that Waddle wasn't playing because maybe it happens with uh, with Jalen Waddle out there. Well, uh, so it was, Mitchie it was a little unusual. Mechie had two long catches, and he one did. of them clearly could have been a touchdown. He got down to like the two or something, and then he had right. another one where he almost broke a tackle and, and scored. Um, and Devontae Smith had a nice uh, uh, catch and, and run. But uh, other than that, and see, you know, that's the thing. We don't have a running back that breaks off those long runs. We've talked about that multiple times. Najee Harris just doesn't do that. Um, and I'll tell you something else. Najee, he looked pissed after uh, he, they didn't give him the touchdown and then Mac Jones pushes it in. But Najee did score then. Najee scored. And they just did. didn't review it. And that pisses me off. I'm sick of review, Jimmy. But I'm sick <laughs> of review because – and I, I shouldn't bitch about the, the Auburn review. The Arkansas review sucks, and we all know it. The, the Ole Miss review – I don't 100% understand the rule. If if Auburn player, if Sean Shivers did touch it and then it goes in, rolls into the end zone, is it still a touchback? I, I don't know. The, no, it's a touchdown. Okay. Well, it's okay. a touchdown if Arkansas recovers it, and they did. Arkansas made a clear – they made an immediate clear recovery in the end zone. Okay, I know. Uh, but I've seen some people post these rules that say this. I don't know, but it sure seems like to me you were right. Um, anyway – um, but they didn't review that at all. They just took a glance at it and said, yeah, we looked at it real quick and determined, how could you look at that real quick? And then the Penn State-Indiana yeah. thing, look, <laughs> it sure seemed like for all the world to me that ball hit out of bounds before it touched the pylon. And I know you can't just – I know the pylon extends 
horizontally across the universe. But I'm saying I, I don't understand how that we keep blowing all these replay calls. So it makes me want to say again, let's get rid of freaking replay. Because if you don't, if you're gonna not gonna replay Najee's touchdown and it didn't matter because we scored, but if you're not gonna replay right. that then let's just not replay shit. Let's keep the game going, man. Let's keep some momentum and understand that refs are going to make mistakes and let's all live with it. Well, I'm, I'm not for getting rid of replay. I'm definitely for what I would call replay reform, but I'm not, I don't want to get rid of it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it does work when it does work. Some of the time, some of let's, let's put it this way. It does work. Some of the time when there's a clear injustice, I think back to, Gosh, I wish we had replay in 1983 up in uh, Pennsylvania when Preston yeah. Gothard clearly caught a touchdown pass in bounds and uh, he was ruled out of bounds and replay would have probably overturned that. Even Curtis Brown in 1995 against Auburn uh, made a bang-bang catch, was ruled out of bounds before there was a replay. Maybe replay reverses that, I don't know. Uh, like you have said, it's sort of unpredictable. But I do want it there just in case it can benefit one team or another from a clearly missed call. What I think is happening right now is in the college game in particular, there needs to be a more uniform set of rules about when when do we use replay and when we don't. I think what happened at Ole Miss is ridiculous uh, because that that I thought that was why we had replay. That play is why we have it, and, and they didn't really use it. I think there's – too many instances that I've heard already of the referees telling the coaches one thing on the field, but, but then something else actually happened. I mean, when the referee on the field tells Lane Kiffin, yeah, we looked at that. There's nothing to it. No, you didn't look at it. You didn't look at it long enough because I had to watch it three times myself, but by the third time I was 100% sure the ball hit his finger a hundred percent sure. Um, but it did take three viewings and I, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to look at that in eight seconds. If I'd have looked at it in eight seconds, I probably would have said, well, not clear call stands. Yeah. If I looked at it in eight seconds, you know, but yeah, it's very frustrating. It's weird to us Alabama fans that Auburn seems to be the weekly beneficiary of the latest SEC official screw up. That's bizarre, but you know, it's none of our concern, I guess. So whatever. All right, Jimmy, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Alabama's latest commitment. So Kool-Aid McKinstry, oh, yeah, commits to Alabama <laughs> yesterday, Jimmy, and um, big commitment. And, you know, what's surprising to me, and I listened to his um, his commitment. Uh, I watched it live on CBS, uh, the, the website. And he went on to say, look, I've, I've been a lifelong Alabama fan. Really, if you had been following his recruitment, and especially had been following both Alabama and Auburn boards and national boards, they would have, I would have sworn he was a lifelong Aub. I, I really would have, because everybody made it seem like he's a locked Auburn, he's a locked Auburn, he's a locked Auburn, and then it all changed after the uh, Auburn-Georgia game. And really, he went on to say, hey, I've been an Alabama fan all my life. This is, where, this is my dream school. So maybe he was just playing the game a little bit. I think he was, and I think he was legitimately leaning to Auburn for a while. I mean, these kids make business decisions, and everybody assumes the wrong thing when you say that, but it's a fact. And, and you know, I'm kind of involved in the recruiting industry now. Well, really, these kids make business decisions by that. They don't make decisions based on 
who they cheered for growing up. They make decisions based on what's the best situation for me. What's, what's the best circumstance that can make me the best player possible. I mean, maybe somebody, maybe some awesome badass linebacker grew up a fan of Tulane, but don't go to Tulane. If you can go to LSU or Georgia or Alabama, you know, so you kind of have to put the fan stuff aside and Kool-Aid clearly did that assuming that, you know, he really is a lifelong Alabama fan, but it really doesn't mean much when you're a fan to these recruits. They don't, they're not fans in the way that, that 40 year old graduates of Alabama are fans. They're fans differently. I guess, I guess the best example I can give is this. When I say business decision, I grew up a, a big Braves fan, just like I am Alabama. And if I was a really good baseball player and, and I'm 18 years old out of Fairup high school and I get drafted by the Minnesota Twins. Uh, I'm a Minnesota Twins fan right then and there. I've, I've forgotten the fact that I grew up rooting for the Braves. I'm rooting for the Twins. They signed my paycheck and giving me the opportunity of a lifetime. And I know you, anyone would say, that's different. That's a professional athlete. That's different than college. It's really not because these kids are also making a business decision. What is the best circumstance for them? If you grew up an Alabama fan, but you're dying duck fit wish is to be a veterinarian, then maybe you ought to be an Alabama fan going to school at Auburn because that's what's best for you if you want to be a veterinarian. So the football's the same way. Uh, Jaquincy may have liked Auburn, especially Auburn basketball for a while, but Marlon Humphrey signed a $98 million deal in the NFL and ends up playing cornerback for Nick Saban as a smart business decision, and that's what the kid made. No, that's that's a damn good point. I I totally agree with you. Um, with Kool Aid committing, Alabama now has five five stars and twelve of the top one hundred and three players in the class, according to twenty four seven. They also have at least one of the top two players in the class at corner, receiver, tackle, guard, defensive tackle, and edge rusher. So you know, again, on paper, this class is going to be absolutely ridiculous. Um, We've said and, it all along here on our show that this is this may end up being the best of all the Saban groups. That's that's an absurd thing to say. It's like saying it's the best of all the Celtics teams of all time. <laughs> Literally, Nick Saban has put together some of the greatest recruiting classes in the history of college football. This one may top the list. What what makes it more incredible to me, Luke, than all of it is Alabama has been under Nick so dependent on using their summer camps for final evaluations for tryouts more or less, for the in-person hands-on coaching, getting to know the kids. Camp has been vital to Alabama's recruiting efforts since Saban stepped on campus. This year, no camps. And still signing the best class in the country and one of the best he signed, period. Uh, Also, some other quick news. Mac Jones was just named co-SEC Offensive Player of the Week. He ties with uh, Seth Williams, who had a good game against – against Ole Miss this past weekend for Auburn. Seth Williams, you know, continues to impress me. Uh, I think he's a really, really good player. But uh, Mac Jones wins player of the week without throwing a touchdown. I mean, he did get a rushing touchdown, and he was dropping dimes all over the place. But uh, I just found that kind of interesting because I think the next thing to talk about is who's the better Heisman candidate right now? Is it Najee or is it uh, Mac? I'm going to say it's Mac just based on the – quarterback situation in terms of quarterbacks get the nod over everything else when it comes to the Heisman. 
But Najee has 14 touchdowns. The next closest person in the country has 11. Wow. That's an amazing stat. Najee's definitely a strong candidate. I, I would say today that Mac is our, our best Heisman candidate ahead of Najee for this one reason. The front runner is Trevor Lawrence, who's deserving, of course. He's deserving of two Heismans, really, this year's Heisman and what I would call a career Heisman. They probably need to give to the guy that uh, never won it but finishes in second place for three straight years. <laughs> um, but Trevor, uh, you know, at the gold standard, he really is. I mean, he, he's as good a college quarterback as I've ever seen in my life. Well, if Max's numbers are better than Trevor's, if all the numbers across the board, the efficiency, completion percentage, touchdowns, lack of INTs, if his numbers are better than Trevor's across the board and he's played a tougher schedule, it's hard not to give it to Mac. I mean, it's, it's illogical because, wait a minute, aren't you giving it on performance or are you just giving it to the best pro prospect? Mm-hmm. Because there's no question Trevor Lawrence is the best pro prospect in the sport right now. But – the Heisman's supposed to be about who was the most outstanding player on the field. And if max numbers across the board are better than Trevor's, that's a pretty good case. And I think you'd need a case like that to beat out Trevor. I'm not sure a running back can, even if that running back rushes for 1,800 yards in 10 games and, and scores 25 touchdowns. I don't know if that's enough to overcome the golden-haired boy in Clemson, South Carolina, but – if you have better quarterback numbers than Trevor against a better schedule, I, I just think you have a better case. Yeah, and um, it, it also helps Mac in terms of the schedule. I mean, each week the ACC looks worse and worse. I mean, you know, the, the, the second best team was North Carolina, and they lose to a flaming uh, pile of crap in Florida State. Um, and And – I guess Notre Dame is the now the next best team, but I mean, for the love of all things holy, I mean they they beat Louisville twelve to seven. So um, I, I just feel like it's that should help to a degree. Now, in terms of yardage, I'm looking at the stats right now. Um, Mac Jones is just ahead of Trevor Lawrence, number four and number five in the country, nineteen oh five to eighteen thirty three. I think the one catch is, if I'm not mistaken, Clemson's played an extra game. I think they played one extra game. I think Clemson has played an extra game. Of course, they also had a non-conference game, but they did. Yeah. So it it would be certainly awesome if uh, Mac could have had one of those. But, I mean, Mac's leading in in terms of yardage. uh, Now, again, Clemson's had an extra game, so remember this. Mac has 1,905 yards to Trevor Lawrence's 1,833. Mac averages 13 yards per attempt. Uh, His long is 90. Conversely, it's 9.6 and 83 for Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence does have 17 touchdowns, and Mac only has 12. Uh, they both have two interceptions, um, but the quarterback rating for Mac is 212.8, and for Lawrence is 178.6. Um, and so anything, any kind of uh, – anything people want to say about Alabama's offensive line is so good – that anybody could stand back there and do it should be offset by the fact that Clemson is playing arguably the worst all-conference schedule in the country. I mean, they, 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 it's just a terrible slate. It's just a terrible slate they play. And that's no fault of their own. Um, but meanwhile. True. Well, go ahead. Meanwhile, Graham Mertz, I just looked this up. His passer rating is 273, which I've never heard of. Um, no, of course, he, with 20, 
He two Big Ten quarterbacks went twenty of twenty one this past weekend. He and Justin Fields and um, Mertz has also tested positive for the Rona. So who knows what's going to happen there? And, and given the Big Ten's weirdo uh, set of guidelines, he may be out for three weeks. That's kind of bananas. Yeah, they're. Uh, I'm 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 a hundred percent for player safety, but their Big Ten protocols were obviously set up by the people who just didn't want to play football this year because. Yeah. They're, to me, they're just draconian and, and, and outside of science. I don't think science demands that you miss 21 days. seems to me you should be able to play the moment a doctor certifies that you're no longer contagious. If you're no longer contagious and a doctor says so, then why the hell can't you play? But Because they want to be holier than thou. That's, that's the bottom line. No, you're right. You're right. That's the answer. But one thing about Clemson and, and, and their schedule, and you mentioned Notre Dame before, and I'll pick my words carefully whenever I'm trying to say something semi-controversial, but I, I, I think it's a good take. There's a lot of, of talk, even from the national guys, local guys, Alabama fans, that Notre Dame's a placeholder even at four. They're not any good. They're, 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 you know, they're terribly overrated. Uh, they don't belong there. Uh, and, and that may all be 100% right. The beauty of that is we get to find out because they play Clemson. We get to find out. And – Notre Dame will prove they belong in the playoff conversation or not based on that Clemson game. And I'm just saying, if somehow Notre Dame wins that game, a lot of people have to take a lot of words back. You know, I mean, they, they get the opportunity to shut everybody up. They, they get the best opportunity in the sport, really, I would even say more so than in, in an Alabama's case. Um, a lot of Notre Dame doubters out there always are, and uh, and maybe they deserve every bit of that doubt, and Clemson's going to rout them. But uh, – if Notre Dame wins, all of a sudden that playoff picture looks really weird because it's going to be hard to exclude Clemson. But even at that point, you're like, they played one good team and they lost and you're including them. But it's the four best teams. And we'd have to see because if Notre Dame wins, there'll obviously be a rematch in the ACC title game. Yeah, and that game is in two weeks or less than two weeks yep. now. It's two um, weeks during our off week. Yeah, so um... – that's going to be one to watch. I mean, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. But, again, I don't think it'll happen. Now, I'll say this. If Notre Dame does beat them, um, I don't know that – That I think what will happen is obviously there'll be a rematch between the two in this ACC championship game, and then Clemson will probably win, and the winner of that would probably get in is my guess. I don't think you can take two ACC teams given the schedules they've played. So I think uh, even if Notre Dame loses this game, then they, they would have a shot to beat Clemson the second time. And um, I just don't think there will be two getting there. I mean, I think Ohio State's got a pretty easy pass now, path. And I think that uh, obviously Alabama or Georgia or Florida will probably get in. And then, you know, maybe somebody like Oklahoma State or, or an Oregon or something like that. But I don't think you're getting two ACC teams in. But, Jimmy, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. We will be back tomorrow. So uh, roll tight, everybody. Roll tight.